Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, everybody. It is Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and that means it's time for Book Journeys Radio. My name is Dr. Angela Loria. I am the founder of the Author Incubator and creator of the Difference Process for Writing a Book That Matters. And as you know, every week on Book Journeys Radio, we talk to an author about their experience writing their first book. And this week on the show, I'm really happy to have Donna Hennis. Donna is an urban shaman, a spiritual teacher, a speaker, and, of course, a writer. She is the author of The Queen of Myself. Uh, you can check that out on thequeenofmyself.com. Um, Donna, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So tell us about your book. What's it about? Well, uh, The Queen of Myself, the subtitle is Stepping into Sovereignty in Midlife, and that is basically what it's about. Um, Most of us before this book had no idea what the process, that midlife process process was about. We hear hear about uh, midlife crises, and we hear about menopausal mania and, and, and all kinds of terrible things. But we don't really look at the midlife transition as a time of excitement to really grow into your true self and have the opportunity to reevaluate your life and recreate it in the way that you would like to see it. So it really is about um, coming home to yourself. Most women by their midlife have spent decades in caregiving, whether it's literally for their family, uh, husband or wife or children, but also for a career or a business that they've started or an art career that they have, Um, motherhood, coming out of motherhood. Uh, Traditionally, those of us who think of ourselves as, uh, shall I say, devotees of a divine feminine principle, uh, a goddess principle, have heard of the, the triple goddess, which is the maiden, the mother, and the crone, which until this book actually was meant to describe the three stages of a woman's life. The maiden is the young girl who is adventurous and curious, and mainly her job is to figure out who she is. Then comes the mother, which is the time where women give birth to something of their passion, and they keep it alive. As I said before, it does not have to be a physical baby, but it could be a business baby or a career baby or an art form baby. And then supposedly after menopause, we are supposed to be crones, old, wise women. And even though that's a a, a lovely goal to be old and to be wise, at, say, 50, we are not either one. Uh, Because we live so much longer these days, you can't be a crone for half of your life. Right. More and more people are living to be 100 now. So, you know, so for me, there was a step missing. There was a stage missing between motherhood and crondom. And I okay, call, and what's that stage called? I call it the queen. 
because okay. we I in our mid years are in charge. <laughs> and it's a it's a time of an, of heightened power for women. Uh literally, physically, when we lose our hormones for reproduction, we get new hormones in our brain actually that are about empowerment. And it's not testosterone, which is which is about aggression, but it's more about um, termination. And so, you know, the French have an incredible saying that I just love: that when a woman loses her voice, I'm sorry. Oh, I gave away the punchline. Start oh, over. Oh no, we'll start when over. A woman Rewind. Loses Nobody, her everybody, blood. forget what you just heard. <laughs> yes, forget that. Jerry, don't what pay is any it, attention Donna? to. <laughs> When a woman loses her blood, she gains her voice. And that is true. You know, we get to be a certain age, and we wake up one morning and we say, who said, you know, who said I have to do this? Who made this rule? I don't want to do this. And we realize that we can be and do and say anything we want to do with, I hope, the caveat of not hurting anybody. But besides that, we we really realize that uh, our life is is terminal, uh, hopefully not for another 50, 40, 30 years. But we one of the things that we gain as we get older is we realize that we are mortal creatures. And so our life becomes very important. The time left is very important. And what are we going to do with it? And who do we want to be? And what dreams did we have to defer for any number of reasons? Because our family needed us because we didn't have the money. We didn't have the financial support. We didn't have the emotional support. We might not have had the courage. We might not have had the time or the energy or the education to do what it was we really wanted to do, but here's our chance. And here's more our and more, chance. Here's our chance, and if not, now when? You and know? you actually say, turn your midlife crisis into your crowning achievement, and I love how that ties back to that queen phase, your crowning achievement. Exactly. Exactly. And some so people for people, myself, for, for people that are that are listening, you can actually get the Queen of Myself on Amazon. And if you do that right now, you can get if you buy the print book, you'll get the ebook for free. So you can uh, you can take it with you on the road or have a copy at home. So just wanted people to know the Queen of Myself by Donna Hennis. So Donna, tell us about your journey to uh, writing this book. How, how did you pick this topic? How did you decide to write this book? Simply, I wrote this book because I needed to read it. (laughs) You know, um, I was coming into my midlife, and all I knew about menopause was that you stopped bleeding and you went crazy. I mean, I didn't know anything about it. I I certainly didn't know that it was an opportunity for empowerment. Um, So I, I got into researching and realizing that that old triple model doesn't really apply to us anymore. It it still does apply to women in the third world who don't live as long, unfortunately. But for those of us in Western cultures and, and uh, developed cultures, wherever in the world they are, 
We have a whole other opportunity between the time when we give up our role as uh, procreators and we can take up a new mantle of creators before we're old and wise. Uh, I don't think that we're as wise at 50 as we're hopefully going to be at 85 or 90. And so this is this is a time to really, you know, flex our muscles. So, so okay, so you're passionate about a topic. You, you want to learn about it. And, of course, writing a book is a great way to, um, to learn about it. But why, why write a book and how did you – um, how did you fit that into your life? How did you make time to write it? How did you prioritize it when there's so many other ways you could get that message out? I understand the message was important to you, but why a book as a way of getting it out? Well, I am a writer, and uh, actually, this is my fourth book. Um, so I have written books before. Uh, I've written uh, syndicated columns. I, I have newsletters that I write. So it is my natural way of expression, and mm-hmm. um, I love I love to write, and um, it just was something I was passionate about. So it just seemed like an obvious choice for me. And what was your writing process like? How long did it take you to write it? When did you write? Well, um, it it went pretty quickly once I solved the uh, structure problem. I knew exactly what I wanted to say and pretty much how I wanted to say it, but I did have a lot of trouble finding the the perfect format for it and the the perfect structure for it. And once I made that revelation, it was pretty quick going. Uh, I would say that I wrote it probably in about six months, but I had been doing research and workshops and interviews and so on for a lot before I started writing. Uh, So I had huge files. On the same topic. On the same topic. Um, I'm very interested in the empowerment of women. And And suddenly this became very personal. Did you use those events to help develop the content for the book? Which events? The, the The ritual events that I do? Yeah, or the you know the speaking that you were doing on oh, on this topic did that help? Yes, you kind it of? all went into the book. Lots of women told me their stories, and there are lots of stories in the book uh, about and by other people. Um, and <laughs> one of the things I was doing was collecting what I call midlife mantras, and that is if I heard thousands of women saying the same thing, I knew that this was a real concern of women, and one of them was. Now it's my turn. I heard this thousands and thousands of times. You know, I did my duty. I I was a good daughter. I was a good student. I was a good worker. I was a good boss. I was a good parent. Now it's my turn. What do I want to do? And, you know, so all all of that, everything that I learned went in and Unfortunately, I continued, well, not unfortunately, I I did continue to do workshops after, and some of the best stories I've heard have been too late to put in the book. But, um, you know, but it's really, it it was really a wonderful experience traveling around the country and meeting all these women of every description and finding what we had in common, which was this need 
to focus on ourselves for a change. Yeah. You know, women yeah. are raised so, to, to care for everybody, and we're always at the last on the list. Yeah. So for you, this was an important message to get out. Writing you knew was a way that you wanted to do it. You wrote this fairly, you know, fairly quickly in six months. How how would you say, what was your writing schedule like? How do you write best? Are you one of those wake up early and get your word count in, or how do you make the time? <laughs> well, no. Uh, I, I'm at the opposite end. Uh, during, my days are filled seeing clients and uh, doing other kinds of work, not job work, but, you know, administrative work for, for my career. Uh, so I find that the best time for writing for me is at night when the phone doesn't ring and things are really quiet. And sometimes I would write into 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever. Uh, I was also very lucky. Uh, the Omega Institute of Integral, uh, Integral Studies, I guess it's called, where mm-hmm. I have taught on and on, on and off for a long time, um, made me a visionary in residence in, and gave a, a cottage for two weeks where I had to do absolutely nothing except whatever I wanted to do. And so wow. I, I wrote at least one, if not two, chapters in that two weeks. It was just, you know, 24 hours a day of, of peace and quiet and, and my computer. That's so that was a so huge how did gift. You get, was that something you applied for? How did you get that opportunity? No, they they just they just do that. They invite various spiritual teachers and uh, writers uh, to come in there. You know, I don't know that they do it year round, but in three seasons for sure. And they give you two weeks in what they call the Hermitage, and. Wow. They believe that, you know, somebody working, somebody praying, somebody meditating up there in that hidden place that nobody knows where it is. I love Omega. Uh, yeah. Energy, you know, to, to the place. So I was very wow. lucky. I've been there three times as a visionary in residence, but this time was so helpful because it was right in the process of writing. That is gorgeous. What a great opportunity. And, you know, in this case, I know it wasn't something that you applied for, but it actually there are several artist-in-residence programs that you can Google and you can apply for, and that can be quite a powerful way to work on your book. So I I love that part of the journey. Um, Yeah. What about the editing process? Did you work with an editor? How did did you do that? Well, I did. Um, my agent, my literary agent, is a great editor. And she is uh, really better than I am at that whole structure thing. So uh, it wasn't about line editing so much as she would say, you know, this this couple pages here, this would go much better in that chapter or whatever. Mm-hmm. More and of a development that was, yeah. She she was wonderful, and you know I paid her to do that, and uh, I'm so glad because she's she's really good. So let's talk about um, having a literary agent. How did you come to have one? Do you recommend uh, Do you recommend literary agents to people? What does your literary agent do for you? Well, um, since this book. Uh, I, I haven't really, I'm in the process now of, of putting together a proposal for a new book. Um, she's my second agent. My first agent uh, sold 
the the two books before this one. It was called Celestially Auspicious Occasions, Seasons, Cycles, and Celebrations. And this was back in the day when publishing, like, actually paid advances and, you know. Uh, oh, the good old days. Yes, uh, so nostalgic, let me tell you. Um, but he was great. But then he had a career change, and he decided that he didn't want to agent anymore, but he wanted to do PR for authors and writers. So I lost him, and um, this one came actually through a mutual friend. We had a mutual friend, and uh, Gail just said, oh, you need to meet Deirdre. She would love this, and she's a great agent, and blah, blah, blah. And we hit it off, and that was that. You know. So she has been my agent for 10 years. Um, and how did you go about publishing this book? Well, this is this is the really interesting part of the story. She sold it to, I'm not going to say the publisher, but it was a mid-range publisher. Um, and the reason I wrote the book so quickly is because they had this great marketing strategy, which, as I know you know, is unheard of anymore. And yeah, they had publishers all these, don't tend to have marketing strategies, <laughs> except for exactly, trying to make it exactly. as difficult as possible for the authors to market their books. <laughs> exactly. What the the celestially auspicious occasions book was a um, was a perigee imprint of Putnam, and they spent more money on a lunch between me and my new editor than in my entire PR <laughs> yeah. budget. That's pretty common. You know, so they don't do anything, basically. But this this one uh, was real excited, and they had all these plans, and they were going to do this big big release on Mother's Day and blah, blah, blah. It sounded great, but that meant that I had a really short deadline. If, and if they were to meet what they said they wanted to do, I had to get it in really quickly, which is what goosed me to write it so quickly. Um mm-hmm. And then, and and I, again, I know that you know this, but when you turn in a an outline or a proposal, if you're halfway through the book, sometimes you can make a left turn. Sometimes things change or you get a new idea or whatever. And so the book that you turn in might not be exactly what the outline said it was going to be, but this mm-hmm. one was. It was precisely, I mean, because as I said, I knew what I wanted to write, and it was exactly what I'd wanted and he gets it and in this case the publisher himself wanted to be the editor of this book and he gets it and he sends me like 12 pages of of derogatory comments and eight point type and his first complaint was and this was after it was in their catalog was mm-hmm. oh, wow. the queen of myself isn't that selfish and I thought, oh, Maybe. no, <laughs> oh, no, I don't believe this. So I don't understand because he obviously read the proposal. I had meetings with him. He knew exactly what the book was and exactly what the title was. But he clearly didn't get it. And that was another one of his comments is, I'm sorry, I just don't relate to this. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, you're not middle-aged and you're not a woman. Right. Oh, I mean, and why should you? You don't need to have diabetes to publish and a book about diabetes. And this is actually a great, you know? 
I mean, right. it, it and this is absurd. a great lesson, too, about uh, finding an editor that you really connect with, because it sounds Thank like you. as an editor, you weren't really on the same page. Well, I thought we were until this. Right. And so what I did is I, I returned my advance, and I bought the rights back, And because mm-hmm. I knew he was going to kill it. It was just, you know, it was obvious. So. Right. Um, at that point, then I just I founded uh, my own publishing company. Wow! And um, it, it you know it cost twenty five dollars to go to town hall and get a business permit. You know it was nothing to do, but I didn't want to quote unquote self publish it with any of the print on demand um, uh, uh, you know uh, labels on it because you know let's be honest. Uh, a book that's brought out by Lulu or whatever is not really usually reviewed, and they're not taken seriously, unfortunately. Um, so this and 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 this is ten years ago, and I have to say that self-publishing has come a long way, and it's no longer about vanity. You know, self-publishing used to be right. print thirty copies for your family, and you're thrilled you wrote a book in your life. Um, right. And but now more and more and more and more authors are seizing control of their own work. And mm-hmm. I figured, you know, as I said, this is my fourth book. I've had a book by a super major, big deal publisher, uh, a mid-level publisher, and my first book was by an obscure arts publisher that no longer exists in L.A. So I had the the full range of experience, and I knew I could do better than them in terms of promoting it. And I did. I have. And actually, kind of a miracle happened is um, I had uh, in the book for uh, all all the quotes, there are a lot of quotes by women in the book, and I always would add their their dates of birth and if, if relevant death. And one was by Dr. Christiane Northrup, and mm-hmm. I could not find any bio information about her, so I wrote to her office and I asked, and her assistant got back and said, oh, she doesn't give that information unless she really understands what the project is. I mean, it was just her birth, all I wanted was her mm-hmm. birth year. But I sent okay. uh, some chapters and in return mail, I got a handwritten blurb for the cover from Dr. Northup. Wow. <laughs> and that was like, wow, exactly. So mm-hmm. that, that's I an amazing that story. Over. That's an amazing I made the right story. decision. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and so now it's gone into, you know, second printing, and, and it's just it's done really well. And so for you, what is the best thing about being an author? Oh, Wow. <laughs> Um, well, it's having a voice, certainly. Um, I love that that I get letters and emails from women all, literally all over the world at this point, and um, that, you know, that the book really touched them or it inspired them or it helped them get through a tough passage or whatever. And wow, I mean, what a, what an honor to have that in your life to to actually know that you might have helped somebody that's yeah. that's tremendous that is so i tremendous. like that <laughs> are there opportunities that you think that you'd have because of being an author speaking opportunities or you know other projects you might have done that came out of being an author yes for sure 
Um, you know, I'm, uh, I do a lot of radio. I'm invited to do a lot of radio stuff and also teleseminars. Uh, next month, I think it is, I'm going to be in, a, in a, 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 one of the experts, as it were, in a teleseminar called uh, Rock the Change, <laughs> which yeah. is a, a very upbeat uh, uh, informational teleseminar on uh, the menopausal change of life. And so, again, that's another opportunity to be out there and to have a bigger audience and to, again, hopefully uh, put some good ideas in people's minds and, and, and encouragement for and, and inspiration for them to find their own way to their own personal power. Right. And I do have an ulti- uh, ultimate goal for that, I guess, is that I really believe that our planet right now our planet and all living things and beings on the planet are suffering right now from what I think of as testosterone poisoning. Mm. And I really want to see more women in more positions of authority and power and decision-making. And uh, I really do want to put my, my energy and power behind women becoming empowered because I think that we really need a feminine sensibility to correct a lot of the dangerous wrongs uh, in the world today. And so uh, with, your, with your book, do you feel um, like the uh, – let's talk about how you've been marketing your book. So obviously doing the workshops and things like that is a way to get it out. But how, what's, what have been the most successful ways that people have heard about your book? Well, um, I, do, I do have a Facebook page for the queen of myself and a Twitter account. Um, but also uh, I really did reach out and I got uh, two distributors uh, which oh. is really important. Um, so it's now carried by New Leaf and Baker and Taylor, and that Excellent. gets you into bookstores. Um, Ingram is the really big one, but they don't take any uh, publishing companies that have only one title. And mm-hmm. you know, when when I'm ready for my next book, then maybe I can move up to them. Um, and How I don't know whether I'm distributors that you work with. Yes, distributors are, are, are important. How did you find them? Well, I mean, I, I just researched, and again, my agent was very helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, I think New Leaf might take this. I think Baker and Taylor might take this. Um, and, you know, you, you have to do the research, go on their websites, make some phone calls. Who do you write? How do you, you know, what do they need from you? And you just have to do all that stuff. And um, <laughs> You know, that's the hard part. Um, and get it on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com, although I have to say barnesandnoble.com is a very poor second to Amazon in terms of their audience and, their and you know, what you get from them. Um, and then, um, again, uh, every time you give a talk or something, bring books with you and and sell them and promote them. And uh, and what I did also is after doing, when the book first came out, I did do book tour. Um, and I did have some contacts of bookstores that I'd been to before. 
Um, but a lot of it was just research. Oh, well, you know, this is my route, and you just have to Google uh, bookstores in a certain area, or if you have, uh, you know, a specialty book, you have to look for some kind of specialty bookstore, um, whether it's a New Age book or a uh, mystery book or w- whatever. There are specialty bookstores, and those are really good uh, to to partner with because their audience is your audience. Um, right. And and what I did also is after I got back in town and I had met all these people, and, of course, you collect everybody's email. Uh, you know, if they come to an event, you ask them if they would please, you know, sign up on, on your mailing list. And so I put out a newsletter now, a monthly newsletter called the Queen's Chronicles. And it kind of picks up where the book leaves off. Um, it's not the same format of the book, but it's filled with – stories of inspiration and encouragement of midlife women who are uh, doing something great or changing their lives or are role models for us. Um, I, I always call it uh, living in with meaning, moxie, and majesty in midlife and beyond. And um, so that, that's been really wonderful. Um, I, at this point, I have about 5,000 um, subscribers. It's free, but you wow. know you have to sign up for it. And people send it to other people. And every week, uh, Constant Contact is is the service I use to send it out. They send you an update on your mailing list, and it's kind of interesting because people really do share share it with other people, and then those other people sign up and so on. And I don't know that who they is are. How it works. That's how it works. You get you get found in the most surprising ways. Exactly. So you can find Donna Hennis. Uh, you can find her uh, on her website, which is uh, same name as, as her book. It's thequeenofmyself.com. Thequeenofmyself.com. Donna Hennis, so much, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you, and it's a great show. Good luck with it. Thank you. We will be back next week doing what we do, changing the world one book at a time.